Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. We have made it to this point in our summer to the eighth commandment, not giving false testimony against our neighbor. Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 22 that a good name is better than riches. To be esteemed is greater than silver or gold. So today, as we think about the Eighth Commandment, we'll think about why it is that a good name is so important and how we can protect not just our own good names, but the good names of others as well. Loose lips sink ships. Have you heard that saying before? Raise your hand if you've heard that saying before. Okay, almost everyone. Good. Does anybody know where it originated? You might be able to tell from the picture that's on the screen. World War II. I knew I could count on you, Larry. Thank you. Yes, World War II. It was actually part of the propaganda, I suppose you could say, surrounding World War II because of the fear that some citizens of the United States who maybe, maybe had still ties to Europe might give away some of the things that the United States was trying to do. It was a way to tell people that they should guard their speech because you never know what information might fall into the wrong hands. We still use that expression today, not because we're worried about sinking ships anymore, but it's a pretty apt description, isn't it, to the damage that can be done when secrets are betrayed, when people's reputations are harmed, Think of the friendships, the family relationships that have been destroyed not over physical violence but over a few words that are spoken or maybe we could say misspoken. And so today as we take a look at a text from 1 Samuel chapter 19, we'll let an event from the life of David and his friendship with Jonathan teach us how to defend someone's honor. Take a look with me at 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. Saul told his son Jonathan and all the attendants to kill David. But Jonathan had taken a great liking to David and warned him, My father Saul is looking for a chance to kill you. Be on your guard tomorrow morning. Go into hiding and stay there. I will go out and stand with my father in the field where you are. I'll speak to him about you and will tell you what I find out. Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. This is the word of our Lord. As we review the Eighth Commandment today, can I invite you to speak the words of the Eighth Commandment and Luther's explanation along with me? The Eighth Commandment, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, or give him a bad name, but defend him, speak well of him, and take his words and actions in the kindest possible way. Today, as we take a look at this story in King David's life and the Eighth Commandment, we get an example. We see how it is 
to defend someone's honor. Defending someone's honor starts with protecting their reputation and then also by remembering our own defender. I suppose we could say this event from David's life was all about relationships. And it starts with the relationship that David had with Saul. You can read about that relationship if you'd like this week in 1 Samuel. The events of Saul's life really start around chapter 13 and then David comes on the scene in chapter 16. We are in chapter 19. I'll be brief, but let me fill you in a little bit on what happened to lead to this point. Because as our text started, all we hear is that Saul wants David dead. Well, how did we get to that point? Saul was chosen to be the first king over Israel. And while his reign started well, what happened is Saul turned his back on the Lord. And when that happened, God chose a new king, anointed King David from the family of Jesse to replace Saul as king. But Saul continued to reign. Amazingly, to prepare David for the job ahead, Saul actually brought King David into the palace to play the harp and lyre for him. And so David got to see what palace life was all about and Saul liked David. He actually made him one of his armor bearers. He was pleased with what David brought to him. And then the events of chapter 17 happened. Do you remember Goliath, the Philistine champion, the one who taunted the Israelites. And as he taunted the Israelites, it was only David, the little shepherd boy who went out, armed not with a huge spear, but with a sling and some stones. And he dropped, fell, killed Goliath. That's the victory that Jonathan is referring to in our text when David took care of the Philistine. And then what happened next caused the trouble in the relationship. David was praised by the people. Saul has killed his thousands. David his ten thousands was the refrain of the song the people of Israel sang and it went right to the heart of Saul. He began looking for ways to get rid of David. On the other hand, you have Jonathan, the son of Saul and David's really good friend. So you have these two relationships, one not so healthy with Saul and a great friendship with Jonathan. See, Jonathan recognized that David was the chosen king, that he was going to be the next king of Israel. And he was willing to protect David's reputation, a reputation that bothered Saul, that David was victorious, that David was successful because the Lord was with him, had eaten away at Saul's heart. Jealousy had filled that heart. In the events right before chapter 19, David understood, David had an interest in Saul's daughter, Michael. And Saul looked at it as a way to get at David. He actually asked David for a price for the marriage to go out and kill 100 Philistines. David did so. Only he actually went out and killed 2,000 Philistines and brought back the evidence with him to demonstrate to Saul that he was willing to serve him in any way. At every turn, Saul's desire to be the king, to continue to rule as the king, was meeting with frustration. That's why he urged his attendants and Jonathan to kill David. But Jonathan wouldn't do it. Isn't Jonathan's friendship with David 
amazing? He not only warned David about what Saul was intending, but then he promised that he would go speak to his father. He went and spoke with Saul and and he defended David. He spoke well of him. What has he done to you, basically, is what Jonathan said to his father. He reminded him of the victory that David had won, how it had benefited Saul greatly. And why would he do these things? Why would he do this wrong and kill an innocent man? It's hard to argue with the fact that Jonathan was exactly what a good friend should be. Got me to thinking just a little bit as I was working through this text this week to this truth. A good friend is a tremendous blessing from God. It really is. To have friends, to have someone who knows what you're going through, to have someone who has your back in the ups and the downs, the highs and lows of life is a tremendous blessing. I have to be honest, I'm not always familiar with the abbreviations, the initials that things stand for today, whether it's in text messages or other things, I'm often lost. I have to say to people, what does that mean? I know a few, like I still know LOL, I think. Does anybody use that one anymore? I know this one, BFFs, right? Best friends forever. And certainly that is a blessing, to have that person in your life, that best friend, that someone that you share everything with. And I suppose some of you right now are thinking about who that person is in your life. But maybe, maybe you're sitting there thinking, I don't have that. I don't have that blessing in my life. I don't have that person that I can share everything with. To you, there's always this reminder from God and his word. You do have a friend. You have a friend in your Savior, Jesus. You have a friend about whom Solomon wrote this in Proverbs, there's one who sticks closer than a brother. You have the one who said, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. That's how Jesus thinks of you. That's how he considers you as his friend. He was willing to lay down his life for you and for me. What a friend we have in Jesus. Amazingly, the intervention, Jonathan's words to King Saul worked, at least for a time. Saul listened to him, even took an oath saying he wasn't going to do anything to harm David. What I find truly amazing is that Jonathan was giving up his own personal gain to help his friend David. Think about this for a moment with me. If David's out of the way, then Jonathan has a chance to become the next king of Israel, right? As the son of King Saul, he technically should be next in line for the throne. But Jonathan recognized to his own loss that defending David that David being alive was better for Israel than anything else. Jonathan took seriously the defending of David's honor and he was the friend that David needed. Let's pause for just a moment here to reflect on our own use of words when it comes to protecting others' reputations. I didn't have to go very far in this one to recognize just how far short I fall of the Eighth Commandment. You know how easily it happens, don't you? Maybe it's just a few words spoken behind someone's back. 
Maybe you have a legitimate complaint, but you take it to somebody else at work or in your family or among your friends, just trying to say the words that maybe will look some, make somebody else look not quite as good as you. Have you ever had this situation? Maybe you've done it. Maybe you've heard others. I got to tell you about. They whisper. You almost know right away, don't you, if they're whispering? That's probably not a good thing. Or maybe it's just starting a sentence with these words. Have you heard? Oftentimes, what comes next is not a God-pleasing comment. Don't we find it so easy to gossip? So easy to talk about others? To give others a bad name? To not take others' words and actions in the kindest possible way? Think back to the explanation that Luther gave to the Eighth Commandment. It's not just about telling lies about other people. That's one thing. Certainly, we shouldn't make stories up about other people. But did you notice that we're not supposed to betray them or give them a bad name? That means even if what I say is true and it causes harm to someone's reputation, I should keep it to myself. Even if what I say is true, I don't want to do anything that harms the reputation of my neighbor. You know why, right? You know why this is such an easy sin to fall into? Why we have such difficulty with it? Because we still have this mindset that if I can make somebody else look worse than me, then that makes me look better. And maybe it gives me more friends, maybe it gives me more credibility, maybe, just maybe, it gives me even higher standing with God. But we know this, right? Whoever keeps the whole law and stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. That's what makes the example of Jonathan so amazing. To his own loss, he was willing to stand and defend David. So I thought this was a good truth to take away today. We protect the reputation of others at all costs. Let's take a page from Jonathan's book and say, what can I do so that people look at those around me, those who I interact with, those at work, those at school, those in my family, and esteem their names as highly as possible. It's amazing as Jonathan took the time to defend David's reputation, as he took the time to take the words and actions of David in the kindest possible way, he's illustrating exactly what Jesus meant when he said, love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that the height of loving someone as ourselves? To protect their reputation, to make them look better than even we look? And why? Because we know, don't we? We know the other side of being betrayed. We know the hurt that it causes when someone speaks badly about us. We know the harm that it causes in relationships when words are spoken. Do you know people who are good at keeping the Eighth Commandment? They're great to emulate, aren't they? No one can keep that perfectly except one. And you know who that is. That's your Savior, Jesus. Can you imagine? For 33 years, Jesus lived in this world, not, never had an unkind word for someone, never had an unkind thought, never betrayed anyone's secrets, never did not defend others in need. 
And that's exactly what you have in your Savior. He defeated all the lies of Satan. Satan's lies that come to you and tell you you're not worth it, you're not good enough, you've broken the eighth commandment, God can never love you. Jesus defeated all of those lies on the cross. And on that cross, he took all of your lies and mine. All of the times we've betrayed secrets, all of the times we haven't defended others, they've been washed clean in the blood of our Savior Jesus. Do you know what Jesus still does? He still speaks for us. He still defends us. We're going to read a passage in just a moment from Romans chapter 8 which demonstrates how Jesus defends us as our mediator. He goes between God and us as if God were going to say their sins are too great, they need to suffer. Jesus will say this, but you can't, Father. You can't punish them because I already took it. I already took their punishment on myself and they're free. That's exactly what Jesus did. He took the punishment of our sins on himself. He gave himself for us so that we are called redeemed, saved, free from sin and heirs of eternal life in heaven. Listen to how the Apostle Paul described that in Romans chapter 8. Who then, who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and also interceding for us. That's what your Savior does on your behalf. And that leads to truth number three. We have one who defends us before God, Jesus our Savior. Some takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, God protects the good name of each person through the Eighth Commandment. It's important. You know you hear a name, you hear somebody's description, and it brings to mind instantly a picture, right? We want to do whatever we can to keep that honorable for ourselves and others. Number two, the Eighth Commandment urges us to defend and speak well of others. When we can protect others' reputations, when others are protecting ours, we once again see the beauty of God's commandments in protecting the things that are so important in this life. Then finally, number three, Jesus took up our defense and provides forgiveness and salvation. When we fail, Jesus never does. When we speak unkind words, Jesus never did. And that righteousness that he lived is yours. And the payment that he made for sins is complete. And your place in heaven is secured. I suppose you could say that Thumper is the one who made this saying famous, not that it wasn't around before, but maybe your own parents said this to you. Maybe if you're a parent, you've said this to your children. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. I don't know if I can do a thumper, but if you can't say nothing nice, then then don't say nothing at all, I believe is how Thumper said it in the movie Bambi, right? Isn't that a good summary of the Eighth Commandment? If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. But maybe we could take it just one step further. It's not just not saying things that aren't nice. It's also saying things that are. Seeing something nice is part of fulfilling the Eighth Commandment, looking for ways to defend and uphold our neighbor's reputation, looking for ways to speak up for them when they can't speak for themselves. Yes, it's one thing to walk away from a conversation if somebody is being bad-mouthed, But how much better is it to say, 
well, hold on. Let's give the person the benefit of the doubt. Have you ever thought that maybe this is true? See, when we uphold someone's honor, then we're remembering exactly what Jesus did for us. That's finally our motivation, right? The one who defended us gives us the strength to defend the reputation of others. And Jesus is going to say the nicest thing we could ever hear when it's our time to come home to him in heaven. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus, amen.